Welcome back to another episode of Summoner's Corner. This is episode eight now. I'm your host, Will. I'm joined each week by my co-host, Josh. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Another week in the books. An exciting one. A lot of upsets that happened. And some banger games this week. We got to see the top of the table play again. Yeah, it was uh, it was a fun week for sure. Uh, this episode, we're talking about some of the top lane rankings. We just feel like that was such a... A key part this weekend that was really highlighted was just some of the the, the big top laners in the league right now. Um, we're going to be talking about the playoff forecast, who's locked and who is locked out. Yeah, it was an exciting week. A lot of stuff happened. Let's get right into it. So, day one on the Friday, we have TSM versus Dignitas. Dignitas coming out with the win. Game two, Evil Genius versus 100 Thieves with Evil Genius getting the win. Game three, Cloud9 versus FlyQuest. Cloud9 coming out on top. Game four was Team Liquid versus Golden Guardians with Team Liquid getting the win. And the last game of the day was Immortals versus CLG. And surprisingly, CLG gets the win. I just wanted to say, CLG actually looked pretty good this weekend. I think putting Poe back in mid was a very good play by them. Yeah, they've looked much stronger now that they're playing with their full lineup and everything. You can tell that they're they're much more practiced with it at the very least, I think. So looking at games for day two. The Saturday, you have Dignitas kicking it off, getting a win against Golden Guardians. TSM takes down 100 Thieves. And then one of the highlight matches for this weekend, Cloud9 versus Team Liquid. In a long, drawn-out game, which, I mean, as I think most people know, tend to favor Team Liquid, Liquid does get the win. The next game after that was Immortals versus Evil Geniuses, and Immortals, after a tough loss to CLG, gets the win there. And the last game of the day was FlyQuest versus CLG. FlyQuest pick up the win. Man, C9's strength of schedule this weekend was insane. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really tough week for them. I mean... FlyQuest before this weekend, I think, was looking pretty good, actually. I, I mean, last weekend, they, they ended off by getting a win against TSM. So I feel like they were looking all right. C9 able to take them down. But then, yeah, C9 having to go up against Team Liquid and then TSM. That is, those are strong teams. But C9 still does manage to hold on to their number one position. Yep. If narrowly. Was not quite enough to topple them. So let's start off with this uh, Dignitas Golden Guardians game. Yeah, so since our kind of theme of the week is top laners, I picked this week because there's just such a stark contrast. Now I want to give a shout out to Fake God to start. He was player of the week this week. He earned it. I thought his performances were really well done. Um, especially this Aatrox performance. I think it was really standout. I think he really uh, put his team in a position to win through some really key top lane flanks through TP and stuff. And it, so so we have down, this is kind of the battle of the budget teams. So so Dignitas, of course, you know, it's, it's come up in the last couple of weeks. They are an all-NA team, all-NA talent, yes. homegrown. And, you know... For such a budget team, they are super outperforming expectations. Do you remember where you had them? I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Do you remember where you had them at the start of the season? Um, I 
think I had them at sixth or seventh. I had them pretty low overall, towards the bottom. And I I think I was pretty close on that, yeah. too, about sixth or seventh. Maybe even farther down the list, I'm not really sure. But I, I don't think anyone would have really predicted that they'd be second place a week out of playoffs. No, no they have looked incredibly strong. And my, my first note for this is uh, Dignitas is the value meal team. And uh, that was actually something that the commentators for this game brought up. Um, I think it was a Zale that mentioned, uh, like, at, at when they blew up the Nexus, he, he said something along the lines of, like, and the value meal team gets the win or, or something like that. So I, I found that pretty funny that even the commentators are, are in on the joke. Yeah, it really begs the question, though, like, when is McDonald's going to pick up this easy easy sponsorship for lcs for real yeah like all they have to do is pick up the phone at this point oh man that would be so funny it, it would be even funnier if uh if mcdonald's just sponsored dignitas <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome uh, so so getting into this game a little bit dardock on udir it, it's a champ that we've seen fallen out a little bit uh there have been a few games where he's not Banned and just kind of slips through uh, the picks. So he was nerfed, right? So yeah. he isn't always going to be 100% PB now. But he's still at like 90%. He's still very high for pick ban. Really, it's all these champions that just run at you stupidly, right? Like, like it, it's the turbo chem tank. And uh, it, it, it's just such a powerful tool for these teams for engage. Yeah, and I mean, we're, we're even seeing like top lane Gregus builds the the chem tank a lot of supports are building the chem tank like it, it's not just restricted to these junglers either i think chem tank overall is just a very powerful item and also like the point and click stun like if he's in melee range you are just stunned we saw a lot of really really skillful dodging of like aimed skill shot abilities in this game but you can't dodge a bear slap and and that's what this came down to uh in a lot of successful ganks well, and I even think, like, you know, Udyr can be branded as sort of a brain-dead champion and stuff, but uh, I think there is some ability to show your, your skill with this champion in those speed boosts and being able to utilize them to, like, weave in and out of fights and to dodge those key skill shots and stuff, which I, I think was showcased this game as well. I think Dardoch piloted, pilots this champ uh, very well. Um, I, I think he's probably one of the better ones up there with like Blabber and, and, and a few others um, who really make this champ look very, very powerful just overall. I think that's also uh, building on that impressive given Dardoch's diversity of champ selection, the split. Yeah. So so looking back at the top lane for a second, I, I want to uh, dive into Niles' stats because, damn, after this game, eight... 71 and 55. Yeah. Eight kills, 71 deaths after this game. Yeah. And only 55 assists. That's. Who does Golden Guardians have on their academy roster? That's a good question. Because if it, if it isn't like a literal chimpanzee, just bring them up. You have nothing to lose from benching this guy for a couple of games. Actually, even then, it'd, it'd probably be like a side grade. So like. I don't know, man. I, I just, <laughs> when you're this consistently bad, 
there's not much to do. Like, like this is a very clear, definable weak point. And, and I'm like, not an analyst, right? How are they not seeing this and making a change? Their top laner is Tally. He is a uh, Oceana player. Never heard of him. Never heard of him either. But like, ha- had you heard of Niles really before this split? Nope. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I uh, I think it's at least worth a shot. Not much to lose at this point. Because Ni- Niles has, has not really done anything, to be frank. Yeah, and even in this game, there were a it's few... It's been a really rough look from there him. There were a few key points where he was the difference in the negative sense that cost his team fights, objectives, gold towers, right? So so during the later later stages of this game, Golden Guardians mount a huge comeback in the bot lane. They pick up a 2 for 0, and they're pushing the inhibitor tower. And, like, Gragas is at half health. He's trying to tank and stuff, but he just runs and body slams and dies. And it's like you were actually pushing for the win there, and you just got blown up. I, I, I just... I feel like if he stays alive there, they actually have a chance of winning. Like, you're you're 5 to 3, and you get blown up. Uh, I've actually got some stats on top laners. Ooh, give me the stats. So Niles, four top laners. Niles is last in KDA, surprisingly second in kill participation. His kill share percentage, though, is last. He is top of the list when it comes to team death percentage which is obviously something that you don't want to be at the top of. Uh, he has almost 30% of his team's deaths. He is third last in gold diff at 10 minutes. He is last experience diff in 10 minutes. Uh, and he is last in CS per minute. Yeah, those are some wild stats. Uh, building on the KDA stat uh, in particular as well, I've got them pulled up here. It's more than one full point he's behind the next lowest. Like, everyone else is at at least a 2 KDA, and he is at 0.9. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a big difference. That is insane. That is a huge gap. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, Golden Guardians, maybe, maybe try something else. Give it a shot. See what happens. Yeah, not much to lose. Uh, also... Just another big shout out to Fake God. Uh, in contrast, like his numbers for being uh, more of an unknown commodity going into this season uh, look really good. Sixty five percent KP right now. That's really that's a very strong number. Yeah, he he's looked fantastic. I I have been a really really big fan of this guy so far, and uh, a, a guy that I I'm probably going to follow through his career. Absolutely. Really showing at this game, too. He had a huge TP flank at the end of the game where he, like, TPs in, either flashes or blast cones over, and just catches three from the blind side. Uh, and that ended the game for them. So really good, really innovative plays. That's basically all for this game. Is It's just sort of that stark contrast that really was exacerbated in this situation. Neo was also insane this game for Dignitas as well. Uh, he ended the game like 15-1 and one on the Kai'Sa. Oh, he yeah. Was, I agree he, with that. He Didn't he get a Penta this game? He did get a Penta, yeah. 
There were a lot of pentas this weekend. There's been a lot of pentas uh, this split overall. We've seen like six pentas mm. so far or something. People are saying a lot of it's because of Collector. Yeah, I'm sure that plays a bit of a part. I heard uh, when Doublelift and Sneaky did their co-stream together, though, they were talking about Collector. And they said uh, like that passive, uh, the, the execute on it, really isn't that important. Like it, 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 According to them, uh, it, it's not really a thing that actually makes a difference most of the time. I, I think a lot of it's Kaisa too, because if you look at the number of pentakills yeah, sure. on Kaisa <laughs> compared to other champions, uh, and, and like usually it, it's ADCs, so you're narrowing the field right there, and Kaisa's popular, but I think she just has the tools for a pentakill in a lot of these. I'm pretty sure all of the pentas have come from ADCs. That wouldn't surprise. I thought you were going to say Kaisa for a sec there. That that's an no. insane stat, but no, okay. Well, because I, I guess like I, I shouldn't say the split like so far this season because two of them were in lock in with Sven on the misfortune. Okay, yep. uh, Eg versus Immortals. So this was one that I really wanted to talk about because on our last episode, I mentioned uh, we were talking about teams that could break through into the playoff race. And uh, the one big one that I had was Immortals. I think this is a team that has a ton of potential. And overall, I think this was a pretty good weekend for them. They lose to CLG in day one, which is obviously super rough. That sucks. But then they get this win against Evil Geniuses, and uh, they pick up a win against FlyQuest as well on the Sunday. But this game specifically, I think it really highlights strengths and weaknesses for both teams overall. The first thing that I really wanted to touch on was in the draft, though. Reyes picks up the vein, and I, I noticed one of your notes is this is the first win that Vayne has so far this season. Yeah, like, okay, so I understand that it is a stronger pick this season because of the tools Marksmans have in comparison to previous seasons. Talking about the mythic items, the shield bow, the kraken slayer, right? Huge advantage. It's like double true damage. Yep. But there's been, like, no success on it. Yeah, and honestly, 99% of the time, uh, I do not like this pick. I think the 1% of the time that Vayne is a good pick that is going to propel your team to a win is when the enemy team picks Dr. Mundo. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't hate it into Mundo. But if you look and you see, like, Azir Vayne, you should just lose the early game, like like picking those. And they didn't here. And I think that's a really big yeah. problem and point of concern for evil geniuses if they can't capitalize on that big of a deficit early. No, for sure. And I think part of that, though, also is uh, I think Xerzi played very, very well through the early game to uh, help them get to the mid and late game with this team comp. But also, I hate dr mundo in lcs <laughs> i hate this pick in in professional play i i don't think this is a champ that can ever survive or should ever be able to survive in a professional game it just does not have the tools to do anything it people can argue that it's similar to udir where like you you run into person and then you hit them with cleavers and perma slow them or whatever but Although it's very easy, you still do have to actually hit the cleaver. And it's not a 
click stun like Udyr has or or some of these other champions that we're seeing like like Skarner who has the ultimate which is a huge tool and stuff. Mundo doesn't do anything if he can't get onto a person. He's literally just a health bar through the entire game. <laughs> um so I will say I think the argument for Mundo in comparison to other champions you mentioned Udyr is that he is higher DPS through most points of the game. I don't disagree that he's higher skill execution. Um, and, and you know, we saw in this game, like, the very low floor he can't have. But I, I think that is the, the general argument that I heard, is that he is, like, higher DPS than most other, like, tank champs. That's fair, but then I don't understand it with this team comp that EG has. Because, I mean, they have impact on NAR. NAR does a lot of damage. Even when he's in Mega, he does a lot of damage. They have Jizuke on Orianna, who is, like, one of the highest burst champs in the game right now. And then they have definitely on Kaisa, who is, like, still the most busted ADC. <laughs> like, they have damage. Why not go for more utility? I just, I don't get it. I don't really see a spot that Mundo fits into any meta, really. I think you would always just much rather have the hard CC that these other champions give you. I will say I like it significantly less in the jungle. I'm not a fan of Mundo overall because I, I totally agree with you on the lack of utility and like CC, but I, I think if Mundo is going anywhere, it should go top lane. Just because it, it does scale yeah. better than it is early because of all the HP scaling, mm -hmm. but I, I think that Mundo just needs that time to farm up and get that sort of solo lane XP. Yeah, I, I do agree that I think the pick is better top lane, but I still just don't like it. I, I feel like there's there's better options and stuff. One that we saw come out, which we'll talk about more as well, is is the Cho'Gath. I, I'd much rather see that. I think that's a much better scaling champ that actually brings major CC as well as objective control and stuff, whereas Mundo doesn't have that. And especially, especially this season, when we're seeing these healing items, or the anti-healing items, sorry, get, I mean, pretty major buffs overall, I think. Like, before, like, last splits and stuff, you almost never saw, like, the Thorn Mail, the Executioners. Uh, you, you would see, like, Morellos fairly often, but I don't think it was necessarily specifically for the Grievous Wounds. Whereas now, like, these are much more prevalent items in the meta, uh, which just makes Mundo's life that much harder because his almost whole kill kit is built around having a ton of health and healing for your entire health bar plus, right? I, I just, I don't like the pick at all. I, I think it's very useless uh, in, in most scenarios. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think... Riot did a great job uh, facilitating build pass for Grievous Wounds. I think the 800 items for both AD, AP, and tanks uh, really helped sort of bring those builds into a less niche spot where they can be a little more main build, uh, where, where you're always sort of hitting at yeah. least one of those items kind of going through your build path on like three to four champions throughout the game yeah i mean we're, we're seeing in most cases uh either top lane or jungle will go first or second item uh what is it not thor uh bramble vest like we're, we're actually seeing a lot 
of champions yep. just rush that item first before they even get, get a mythic is just getting that 800 gold gravis wounds um it's just so valuable right now and very strong in, in the meta currently as well as just a uh, very cost efficient item which i honestly I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of i hope that riot doesn't change it because i don't think it's like op by any means i think it is very efficient which is good yeah i i think it's it uh encourages build diversity and i i think that's uh something league has been lacking for a number of seasons before this one so i'm really enjoying that so getting back to to this actual game i have like a few major notes that i want to go over um my my first one is jazuke and here it comes uh it, it's shown a little bit in this game i think both sides of it are actually shown this game i don't think jazuke should be in the lcs anymore jazuke has had a lot of time now to uh, fix these, in my opinion, very major issues that he has within his game. And I thought at the start of the season that we were beginning to see those issues getting resolved. But it, it's just going back to him inting, to, to him uh, going in with no support and having no way out and him uh, face-checking bushes for absolutely no reason when he doesn't have vision of the enemy team. Um, him in, in this game just walking between two towers with really no help around. I mean, he had a Mundo uh, over doing Raptors, but that's... like it, Again, it's Dr. Mundo. He's not actually going to do anything he doesn't have like cc to help you get out he has a slow that's it um and he, it, it, in that play he also had no vision of xerxes on hecarim who can actually do something and we saw that happen and, and jizuke ended up needing to blow flash and he had already used his teleport so then he's falling behind in lane but then the flip side of it is i guess if you give jizuke a champ that like doesn't really have an option to go in uh, he doesn't int quite as much. Like, we saw that one big misplay, but I think that was it, really, since he was on Orianna. He doesn't have a go button. So he wasn't inting. Um, whereas, like, I feel like when you, whenever you see him play Echo, he just presses E on cooldown towards an enemy champion for no reason. It's like, you're not getting a kill here. What are you doing? You don't have vision of the enemy sport. You don't have vision of the enemy jungler right now. Why are you jumping in when you don't have this information? And, like, I guess because it's Jazuke, sometimes it works, but it's still just not good League of Legends play. Like, I, I don't think it's play that should be allowed in the LCS. And uh, although we're not always seeing it punished in, like, the regular season and, and, and through this split and stuff, um, when it comes time for playoffs, is he, if he's continuing to do this, and we have seen this in the past as well, if he continues to make plays like this, EG is never going to win a game. Yeah, they definitely won't go far in playoffs uh, with this style. It's very easy to figure out. Uh, I, I think building on your point, too, we see uh, Sven Skaren get caught at least once a game or like twice a weekend on average. Uh, j just like out in left field, overextended. Like, Yeah, it, I, I think that's something that Sven Skaren has always done. He did that when he was on TSM. He did that even like the MVP split when he was on C9. But it feels like Jazuke is making those plays far more often. And far more atrociously, I think. It's just, there's times where he walks into a bush for no reason. It's like, what are, what are you gaining from, from walking into that bush right now? Like, there's literally nothing there for you. 
Like you're you're not putting a ward down by walk. You're just walking into the bush because you feel like it. I don't know. It. I I've been so frustrated with watching evil geniuses through these past few weeks. It's a double edged sword when you look at uh, Jizuke too, because like on one hand you can put him on something without a go button where he like has to play around the team like an Oriana, but he still goes and farms like sidewaves or like is backed at bad times and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so. Part of that is like, oh, we'll just put him on something that can fight 1v1. But then, like you were talking about the Echo example, where that doesn't help either. And so when, when you can't do either because he's not like like thinking and playing effectively, one, it falls on the coaching staff. And two, like, yeah, maybe it's time to look for someone who just meshes better and is more responsible with their time management in the game. It, it, it's gotten to where I I, I just don't feel like he he should be in the lcs maybe golden guardians would love to have him <laughs> i honestly don't think it would improve their record at all though is the other thing right like not unless they put him top yeah like he's he's i i think he's probably better than uh a blaze olive uh, honestly i, I think jizuke overall is probably like a more skilled player than a blaze olive but despite that, I don't think it'll make it would make Golden Guardian's record any better because he's still just going to int and throw games because for some reason he's hitting a tier two tower while his team is doing dragon and he doesn't have teleport or some bullshit like that because he just he doesn't seem to use his brain and it's really frustrating. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a talent versus knowledge uh, situation yeah. overall. And and yeah, don't get me wrong, this guy is incredibly skilled. He makes crazy highlight plays. Uh, semi-often which which is good but it, it it's just the he throws games more often than he wins games i mean like froggen is an na resident why couldn't eg get froggen for this split yeah i i yeah i i feel like there's probably better options um like even if you just get a guy that's not going to do anything crazy and will maybe go down 20 cs in lane on average as long as he's not inting <laughs> you're probably yeah. in a better spot like if he's a guy that's gonna when you tell him go drag he'll go drag look at how <laughs> well like this team controls valuable. the map inside a vacuum too right like they have ignar great vision great control great yeah. roams right he knows what he's doing you have impact in the top mm -hmm. lane he's good inside a vacuum he joins team fights he knows how to create advantages and pressure the map and then you have Jizuke and to a lesser extent Svenskeren. Now Svenskeren knows how to play around and macro because of his time on, on S tier teams, right? Like TSM when they were winning a lot, Cloud9 a couple years ago. He's a very knowledgeable, skillful player. You just kind of have to rein him in sometimes for making these brother Sven plays. For sure. But yeah, like, like I, I feel like this is one of those things where it's like, okay, one part isn't working. Like, like let's just fix it. Yeah, so it's I, I kind of feel bad, too, because this episode so far is us just, like, taking the one player that's kind of wrong with these two teams and ragging on them. But it's very apparent, and, there, and there's very little improvement uh, very late into the season right now. Yeah, that's the thing. And I, I think the, the big thing for me with Jizuke as well is, like, he has been in the league for a few years now. He has had a few years playing with different orgs and different coaches to fix this, and he hasn't. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like, when you're playing with 
Impact, who's a former world champion, and Sven Skaren, who's won MVP in, in the LCS. Like, it feels like this team should be doing so much better. It feels like they shouldn't be... They should not be 8 and 7, I don't think, when you have some of these other teams, like these bottom three teams, Fly, CLG, and Golden Guardians. Um, I feel like Evil Geniuses should be get it, should be a team that's picking up wins every so often against like 100 Thieves, a Dignitas, a, a TSM. Um, and yet they're sitting at 6th right now. And remember how strong these guys started out too. Yeah. They were taking games off of the top teams, uh, week 1, week 2, especially in Lock-In. They look so strong in Lock-In. Yep. Uh, and they just, all the other teams seem to have sort of gone on this upward trajectory, and they've just kind of plateaued and stayed even and haven't really shown any meaningful improvement from those mistakes they were making early on. Yeah. Yeah, it's just really frustrating. Uh, I'm going to move on, though. I, I, I'm i getting too heated. Okay. I want to talk about the other half of this team and a guy that I feel so bad for. Impact. We're, we're bringing it back to the top lane. <laughs> I feel I feel so bad for Impact on this team because I watch Evil Genius's games, and I I feel like Impact is just like sitting top lane, and I I don't think he's making any mistakes by like not grouping at certain times or anything, but he'll be like sitting top lane while the team is is doing like a four v four around Dragon, and he's matching up against his opponent top, and he's winning the matchup and taking plates and stuff. And then I, I can just imagine from his point of view, all of a sudden you just see the enemy team has scored a quadra kill. And he's like, uh, guys, top die, guys, like, I, I feel like he's pretty much always winning his lane. And he's pushing his advantage, too. And yet the rest of his team is just losing. Yeah, yeah, like he plays so well when when he gets that lead as well. But then the rest of his team is just dying while he's like taking towers and stuff. And like again, I I don't think it's his fault by any means. I think he is playing very well. It's the team not playing around him. Um, yep. And he and has the highest KP in positioning the right properly. Yeah. Like I I feel like EG is just taking these dumb fights and, and I like I talked about with Jizuke always getting caught and stuff and Sven Skarin having these moments where he, he gets caught and stuff and man I, I just feel bad for this guy <laughs> yeah I, I totally agree totally agree like I say I, I think with just one or two pieces changed this could be the formula for a great like top three roster yeah 100% uh, let's flip it though because I, I, I want to talk about Immortals because I I this is a team that I actually enjoy watching, uh, despite them being 7 and 8 right now. They're only in 7th. But this is a team that I have actually really, really enjoyed watching for a few reasons. I think Revenge is possibly one of the most exciting young North American talents that we've had come in since, like, DeMonte came into mid lane. I love watching this guy play. Uh, he's not always winning lane and stuff. Like, he he has mistakes. He he has misplays he'll go down in in cs and stuff and get solo killed every so often and whatnot but this is a guy that's coming straight out of solo queue like he, he has no experience playing professionally he's never even played an academy or anything and yet we're seeing these flashes of brilliance from him where week one he gets a solo kill first blood against Elfari, the best top laner that north america has right now i mean it 
I love watching this guy play. Yeah, absolutely. And to Immortals coaching staff's credit, I feel like they are putting him in a position with some of his picks to succeed in the top lane. Yeah, I, I love what Immortals is doing with this guy so far. And I think Zertzi, uh, we were talking early on about like he's showing these hyper-aggressive plays and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's exciting, but is it uh, uh, quote-unquote healthy and, and stuff? Like, is, is he going to turn into a Jizuke where he's just running it down? But I think we're seeing less and less of that. I think the coaching staff is kind of reining him in and making him think more critically. And I mean, it's, it's probably not just the coaching staff. It's probably him and the, just the team as a whole. But I think we've seen improvements from him as well, overall. He's still having mistakes, and he's still going in 1v5 with troll plays and stuff. But overall, I think it's happening less. And then I think Reyes has also improved greatly from the start of the season. Yeah, I, I think that's really showcased this game. Like, he has one sort of big positional error uh, in one of the fights. But other than that, I mean, seeing success on a vein through an early game you're supposed to lose really does sort of quantify inside a vacuum how much he's improved, where he can stand toe-to-toe and do this against a fairly strong bot lane. Like, definitely has looked very good this yeah, split. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Ignar has not seen the most success so far this split, but, like, last year he was one of the top supports in North America. So I- impressive to see him have such a dominant performance against that bot lane. And I think we're I think we're only going to see improvement from this guy. Uh, I, I think he's only going to get better and, and more comfortable as time goes on. Being uh, a former all-star, like he, him and Destiny were all-stars for their league at one point. Um, and I, I think the weak point with this team is, unfortunately, Destiny. He's just been so, so hot and cold. He'll have these like massive game-changing plays. And then he'll like turn around and and jump in without the team following and stuff and uh, be caught out of position and whatnot. And it's a little unfortunate to see. Hopefully, Destiny will pick that up. Otherwise, I I feel like this team might want to try and look for a different support. I don't want to call it quite yet because this is a very very new team overall. Uh, like this is a brand new roster and everything. But that I think that's the big concern for this team right now is is just Destiny and support. But overall, I love watching this team. Yep. Credit to their drafting this game, too, really quickly. Um, They draft losing lane spot in mid. Or, well, okay. They draft a losing lane bot, and then they pick a scaling mid into a scaling mid. Where it can just become a farm lane, which is really good. And then they take the early game jungler in Hecarim, who's just always super good. Like it can always make plays happen. Maybe not necessarily the best early game, but able to impact the game at any stage with strong ganks. And then Camille top, which is, I mean, most lanes are losing into NAR to be fair, but she's always a threat. She's always a split push threat. She sets up ganks very well. Yeah. And, and we've talked about how strong Camille is just with her scaling, having a, Cho'Gath ultimate on a five second cooldown is insanely powerful uh, when you hit the late game. Okay, what are we getting into next? We've got a couple bangers back to back. So the Sunday games, we have 100 Thieves take down Golden Guardians. Dignitas yep. gets the win over Evil Geniuses. TSM trumps C9 
Uh, very impressive win. And then CLG take down Team Liquid. Uh, and to round it off, Immortals pick up a win against FlyQuest. First game that we want to talk about, or that you want to talk about, Cloud9 versus TSM. <laughs> yeah, so this is sort of like a grudge match between the two of us. Uh, I, I root for TSM and you go for C9, obviously. So honestly, going in, this is one that's kind of a toss-up. Like TSM is is looking like they're peaking right now. They look like they've just gotten progressively stronger this, this entire season. Uh, so I, I think it was a bit of a toss-up going in, maybe with a slight edge to TSM. But at the same time, Blabber has just looked out of his mind good the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I, I get it. It's all bias and stuff. From from my end, I think it is a toss-up with an edge to Cloud9. But um, both teams have looked very, very strong the past week. Unfortunately, we we both have this one down as just sort of an outdraft by TSM. Yeah. I, I think a big part of it was the outdraft. Don't get me wrong, though. TSM played great. Cloud9 had mistakes. Um, it, it it wasn't 100% just an outdraft. Like, the, the teams played around the comps well overall. But when you're giving up Azir, who is Power of Evil's best champion so far this split, and give him three tanks to frontline for him, yeah, that was pretty crazy. And then, on the other hand, when Cloud9 has zero tanks, like they have a Gnar, but he's only a tank half the time. Well, honestly, I don't know why this isn't more of a priority for teams playing against TSM. Power of Evil has shown for weeks now how strong he is on Azir. Bordering on Bjergsen level with some of the results. And, I again... This is getting back to something I said earlier. I don't think it's a hard formula or pattern for these teams to find out. No, it really shouldn't be. Right, like they have dedicated scouts and analysts. They yeah. they should know this. What are they banning in place? Like if if we go into pick and bans, right? The bans against TSM, Ori, Syndra, for for mid laners. Like they're asking him to pick his ear by banning out like his secondary picks there, right? Because we, we've seen him on both Ori and Syndra this split. He's looked fine, but... Or, Oriana and Syndra are, in a way, like, counter picks to Azir. We're, we're seeing in most cases, at least, whether they actually are or not. That's what we're seeing as the meta, is, like, someone locks in Azir, the other side, you have either the Syndra or the Oriana come out in response, right? So I don't understand why Cloud9 is banning away counter picks for Azir and then not taking Azir themselves. I guess they just thought Victor was going to be more impactful this game. But with, with such a heavy dive comp, I don't really understand that either. Like, what does Victor do? Throw the throw the stun field on top of himself every fight and then ult himself? right? And, and just have all the bubbles? Yeah, and then also watching this game, it kind of looked like Perks has never played <laughs> Victor. Yeah, he looked bad he did this not game. Look, he did not look good on it at all. He had some team fights where he was like right in the middle and just got instantly blown up. And that was a note that uh, Doublelift had from from his co stream was like, "Does Perks think that Victor is is a melee unit or something?" Like, yeah, and I've seen some really good Victor play, but he wants to sort of skirt around the outside of the fight. He has movement buffs. 
he has slow fields to make your opponents play sort of a more spread out sort of game uh, or risk getting stunned in just like one shot, right? So he has all these tools. He has a shield on a low cooldown so he can refresh it. And and, and we, we just, yeah, to, to your point, we just see him not really showing an understanding of the champion's kit at a core level. Yeah, it, it was frustrating <laughs> to watch. Uh, I, I feel like I keep using that word, but it, it really was just frustrating to watch, especially as a Cloud9 fan. Uh, I mean, Perks has looked out of his mind as well the past few weeks. Uh, he started off really slow, I think, in, in the first like three to four weeks of the split. Uh, kind of looked like he got carried in some games. But since then, he has like, I, I think, let me double check, but I, I'm pretty sure he has like the highest kills, highest kill participation, um, like, I think he's pretty much leading mid lane in almost everything. Yeah, he has he has 74 kills so far this split. The next closest behind him is Jizuke with 58. So, like, he is far and above everyone else in mid lane. I feel like a lot of it is sort of like the, the solo kills, the, the side lane pushes, yeah. So on the flip side, earlier in this game, but before all the scaling and the team fight, uh, team comps sort of came into play, let's talk about the level one really quick, because this is something we really need to touch on. This sort of frames the game one way, and then everything sort of shifts the other way right after. So C9 go for this really late invade. They invade at a minute 20. Camp spawn at a minute 30. So by committing to this invade, they are already delaying their jungle, meaning they have to get something of value here for it to be worth. Yeah. And to their credit, they do. They almost go two for zero, uh, but the sixth member comes in for TSM. Mm -hmm. It's the red buff. It auto attacks uh, Vulcan and, and kills him on the back end. It's sort of a mistake there. Uh, I wonder how much impact that one kill sort of had uh, on this early game. I mean, it, it definitely makes a difference. You you obviously see, like, coming off of that, Cloud9 still gets off to a massive lead, really. But that lead would be even bigger if that one kill wasn't given over, right? And uh, it really was just a misplay from Vulcan or, or a misclick. He's the one that auto Like, Red Buff was not aggroed. Yeah, he just autoed it. He autoed it. <laughs> At almost melee range as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a hundred just on him. Like it, it wasn't even a uh, a heads up play from TSM to aggro the red buff to get the kill or anything. It he just he autoed it for and that kill went no to the worst reason. person it could go to. It went to Kaisa the carry. Yep. And and so they go for this late invade. It is successful for them. They do eke out a lead, just smaller than they would have liked. Yeah, they they get two kills off of it, and uh, coming off of this as well. Blabber just doesn't give Spika jungle. Blabber takes all of Spika's jungle, pretty much. Yeah, this was gross. Like, like as someone who has over 100 games of jungle this season, this is just so demoralizing even to watch, like, like thinking about how the jungle feels. Uh, it, it's at yeah. a point where, like, Spika has to go take the enemy Krugs because it's the only camp that's up on the map where he won't be, like, three-man contested. Yeah, and for the first, I want to say like three minutes of this game, the only camp that Blabber took on his side of the jungle was his own wraiths. All the other camps he got were Spika's camps. 
So this results in Spica going top and just suicide diving. And so if you're not really paying attention and just sort of looking at the play for kill value, um, it kind of raises questions. It's like, okay, is this guy just that tilted off of like the level one uh, and the level two? Cause he did die again uh, trying to take scuttle, which was good. Good play by C9 bot. But uh, so he dives and he kills himself and he trades one for one. Uh, but outside of that vacuum, it denies fudge like three waves of creeps and experience. Yeah, it, it was actually like a really, really big swing in favor of Hooney off that play. Um, obviously, like Spica overall kind of falls even farther behind because while he's dead, obviously Blabber is continuing to farm and stuff. But yeah, fudge misses out on a ton of CS off of that play. So I think for the average viewer, you, you might not realize how much of a difference that makes. But that, I think, actually was a pretty big play. And uh, my only thing is, like, I wonder if that was intentional. Because I'm not entirely sure if it, it was, like, come and kill him. Even if you die, he's going to miss a ton of CS and stuff. Or if it was just them kind of forcing a play and it turning out well because of how the waves were. You know what I mean? So I watched the post-game interview with Spica uh, on Doublelift stream. Okay. And... He said it was definitely not a tilt play. He definitely intended to dive. You never go in with the intention of like killing yourself, obviously. Yeah. But they had set it up so that... Well, okay, so C9 had set it up so that Spica had nothing to do. So all he could do was gank. So mm -hmm. there was really no downside to him dying. Like There was no lost uptime on him just because he had nothing to farm. Uh, so if you're going to eat, and really that's the best advantage yeah. to eke out too, because that sort of top difference. Uh, and I think we can all agree that Hooney does have an edge in fudge, right? In, inside the top lane. So to eke out an advantage in that lane where it's going to be more impactful than others, maybe, I think that it was just objectively his best play at the time. And really, they do start to mount a comeback off of this. When he respawns, Spica is able to clear his camps, uh, actually pick up a buff. I think he picks up his blue plus gromp immediately after spawning, so that's good. Um, but C9 grow their lead, and they're up like a dragon and two kills and first tower at 10 minutes. 2.5k gold. Looking at C9 and what we've seen with them, they should not lose from this point. Like, I I don't think... Yeah, if you ignore the draft, I agree. <laughs> and, and really, that's the thing. So, so this game is sort of an example of how important that draft can be uh, and not too much else. Uh, because I think really, if, if all things else are equal, right, including draft, C9 just steamrolls from this point, even though it's TSM. Like, even though it's a top three team in the league, they should just steamroll. Yeah, I mean, Cloud9, uh, historically, even not just through the split, just plays incredibly well when they get a lead. It's almost impossible to do anything against them as soon as they get any sort of a gold lead, uh, similar to like Team Liquid, right? Yeah, it's it just speaks to their macro play and their level of uh, vision taking and, and sort of 
uh, the chokehold they're able to place on the map through vision, through taking forward camps out of the jungle, uh, the, their lane pressure. They, they really do everything at a very high level. There's not a ton more about this game, really. I mean, it, it all just comes down to comp at this point. PoE has kind of a funky build again. He goes yeah. for Berserker Greaves <laughs> instead of Sorks. So so I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing that he didn't build Nasher's Tooth. So he's looking for, like, budget speed increase for his attacks, I guess. I, it's weird. I, I don't like I, it. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I, I don't like it either. Doublelift was kind of talking about like how Poe made a deal with the devil, where like his wish was to be a, a top three mid laner, and so the devil's like, okay, you can do that, but you have to have a terrible build every game. And and, and like really looking at his builds this season, they've just been so off meta. I, I don't want to the... say bad because well, they're still picking up games and stuff. Yeah, I mean there was the. Uh, Leandri's Corky. Yeah, okay, Summer Bat. That's that's fair. That's, t- that's totally valid. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, TSM even had Drake control this game. Uh, and that's something they're fixing, right? Like, they, they lost the early Drake, but then they were in a position to contest going forward. I think a lot of that is Hecarim being able to sort of interrupt no matter what. Like, he can just get very deep into the enemy team. But aside from that, they actually looked ready as a team. And so... Looking at that as one of their major weaknesses we touched on a few weeks ago, like like even into mid-season, I think that going into playoffs, if they're shoring that up, if their drafts are this strong, they're looking very strong going forward. Yeah, T- TSM has looked much better, and, and they looked good this game. I, I have like a, a couple smaller notes. My one note is the Vulcan on Morgana. He honestly looked insane. On this champion, <laughs> he—I don't think he missed like a single he binding. So really, he—he he was a, a sniper, but that's not what they needed. They needed a tank, right? Yeah. I—I I yeah. would have much rathered him play uh, almost anything else. That—that uh, that was tanky. I think peel too, like, like, like a tank can frontline, but I think they needed like an Alistar or like some like. I, I don't want to say Kench because I don't like Kench Kate, but they needed something to peel because if you look at TSM's team, Renekton dives. Hecarim dives. Nautilus engages then peels, but immobilizes the AD carry for at least a couple of seconds with his ult. So I, I really do think that was sort of an error. I, I'm inclined to agree with you there. Uh, also, Sword Art looked a lot better this game. Yes, yeah, Sword Art. I, I, I think really both good. supports actually played really yeah. good. And uh, one play in particular, they were fighting 2v2 top, and Sword Art hooked onto Morg, Vulcan reflex shielded the hook, which to his credit, that's really hard mm-hmm. to do. And then Sword Art immediately ulted Kate, because you can only shield one person, but Nautilus can CC two. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really clean from both sides overall. Um, I just wanted to go back to the tank slash peel pick for, for Vulcan. A, a name that I'm going to throw out there that you might think is strange. I would have loved to see Braum. Oh, that's interesting. I think Braum actually fits like pretty well with Cloud9's team comp, uh, applying the, the stacks and everything. Like You have Caitlyn, who's obviously going to be auto-attacking. Yep. Perks on the Victor has an auto-reset with his Q, 
so he's able to to stack that up quickly. Lilia doesn't like auto attack a ton, but then you also have the Nar, which when he's mini Nar is obviously he's pretty much an ADC. He's always auto attacking, and although we haven't seen it at all, I don't think for LCS, uh, Braum is actually a really not high priority, but a really common pick in LEC right now. Oh, so yeah, because because any is like slower to adapt to these things, so we can definitely see that going forward for sure. Yeah. So I I think that's something that I, I would like to see going forward just from teams overall. I'm a big fan of Braum. The other thing that I want to say, I guess not necessarily for like this game, but kind of just uh, the meta overall is uh, we're starting to see a shift from damage Hecarim to tank Hecarim. And I love that build. I like it so much better uh, in pro play. And that's another thing that Europe has been doing since Hecarim was meta pretty much that uh, NA is kind of just starting to pick up on now. Yeah, and Chem Tank Hecarim is so insane. I didn't really consider it because Hecarim has so many mobility tools already, but it, mm-hmm. it's just unavoidable when he runs in with Chem Tank. Like it, it, it's 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 ridiculous. You are so beyond screwed at that point. Uh, yeah, in, inside any lane, really. Mm-hmm. And also, just with the meta right now, uh, you don't really need extra damage from the jungle in most cases, unless you're going with like. Uh, the, the like an AD mid, in, in which case you want obviously some AP damage from jungle, but yeah, like I, I feel like in most games you don't need more damage from jungle. You would rather just have like engage CC tankiness. Um, so I, I really really like the chem tank build a lot better than the the like Triforce build for Hecarim. So our last game is Team Liquid versus CLG and uh my first I have a question for you. My first question, you probably saw it in the notes. Is Jensen reportable for this? <laughs> so he had very low impact, but he was up against a lane bully with something to prove this game. Poe Belter picks solution and I appreciate his confidence enough to run it back this game because he had a recent performance on Lucian with nine deaths. And I think we could more so ask that question about Pobelter in that game. I agree. But there there was another major flaw with Jensen for this game that happened outside of the game. Four hours before this match, Jensen tweets out, a nice 3-0 weekend for us. Oh, uh, I had forgotten about that. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. But I like the trash talk. So I don't want to <laughs> shit on Jensen too hard because it's banter and it's good for the game overall, even if he... Yeah, as we've talked about many times, we we love the trash talk and the banter and, and the tweets and everything. <laughs> but just, I, I feel like none of them this whole season have aged well. I was going to say the exact same thing. It, <laughs> it's like they just instantly jinx themselves the second they open Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> And then, you know, it's, also it's so Team funny. Liquid got first blood on CLG. So first time it's happened all season. So, you know, the game's doomed right there because yeah. all the games CLG's gotten first blood. Like, you know, look at the record. They're 3-11 and 11 going in. So, you know, as soon as another team gets first blood, they've, they've just like doomed themselves to lose. Yeah, I mean, in games where they get first blood, CLG has a 27% win rate. In games where they get first blooded, they have a 100% win rate. It's math. It's simple math. And it's a truly counter logic strategy on top of that. So, you know, it's a win-win. I think this might be the new strat for CLG. Um, overall, I don't think we really have, like, 
a ton of notes overall for this game. Uh, like you said, uh, Team Liquid get the first blood, which uh, that's the first time we have ever seen CLG not get a first blood so far this split. Um, something that, that threw me off so much when I first started watching this game is... Um, I don't know if they've been doing this throughout because I've been watching a lot of double lift streams and stuff. But the commentators, uh, like Pastry Time and Kobe for this match, they kept calling Pobelter P.O.B. Yeah, you don't like that, do you? I The first like three times I heard it, I was like, P.O.E. is not in this game. Why do you keep talking about Power of Evil? It sounds far too similar, and it threw me off, and I, I, I don't... Why? <laughs> why are they calling him P.O.E.? Or I get it, but at the same time, like, we've got Sven and Sven Skaren. We've, we've got Huhi and Huni. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think it's just I know. Oh, God. Overall. Also, I, I, I put, like, capital P.O.B. It in is, the notes, sure. but I, I call him, like, Pobe for short. Yeah. So, so like, I just I've just always called them Poe Belter. I guess. <laughs> but it was just so confusing the first like three times that they said it. Because like it, it sounds so f- similar that I just thought that they were saying yeah. POE. And I was so confused. The other really big thing here is the Cho'Gath pick. And I I love this. I Absolutely. love this so much. I think Cho'Gath is such a fantastic pick. Uh, if you have like the right team for it, it definitely it's not a champion that fits into every single comp. Um, uh, do not start just picking this willy nilly teams, please. But I would love to see more of it uh, when it fits, because yeah. it gives. Uh, I, I mean, the Q, uh, the the like rupture, isn't easy to hit by any means. Um, but if you have any sort of setup for it, it becomes pretty easy to hit. If you hit like even just a slow, um, it becomes much easier to land that that decent sized AOE knockup. Um, but the, the main thing is the W the scream having that AOE cone silence that is practically unavoidable is so powerful. Um, I, I think the R can't be understated either. Uh, when you pick Cho'Gath in a draft, you just expect to at one point in the game, be able to go for any objective on the map, any neutral on the map because you just have a better smite yeah and you can even still like synergize it with smite to be safe where uh you can smite from like 1500 health right <laughs> like it, it's it's ridiculous yep yeah yeah and and as long as you're communicating you just get it yeah absolutely um i i will say teams need to be careful picking Cho early because you know we're, we're seeing that vein come out from a few players and i think vein is a very strong pick into Cho'Gath because Cho is another one of these big hp tanks yeah anyone that does percent health damage is very scary uh when going into a mundo a Cho'Gath, anything like that also here's a little bit of theory crafting i was looking at for this week uh we had two instances of teams getting the first two dragon and then giving up the other four and like this game in particular with an hp tank like cho'gath having four water drakes stacked into ocean soul is just so insane now obviously you can't predict that in champ select you can't even really know that until you see the second dragon Mm -hmm. be killed but you know 
there there's something to be asked for like is that a viable strategy where like you see air come up okay we don't really care about air maybe we let that one go and then like like infernal they would have liked but stacking mm-hmm. three to four either water or mountain drakes in this game onto a Cho'Gath is just so crazy i know at one point this was like last year i think i was watching Meteos' stream and uh he was talking about how there would be times where his team would be like ahead in gold, but down in dragons. And if it was like Cloud Soul, which uh, is still good, but definitely the worst of all of them, they would sometimes just give up that dragon so that Elder would spawn faster, so that they could then just go and take Elder. Um, And I think it almost kind of fits into the same thought process of like giving it up so that you get something better in return later. Yeah. It's just, it's definitely very interesting. I think it's something that's not talked about a ton right now that should be talked about maybe a little bit more because we have seen a lot, a lot of games decided on a flip between like, do we go for drag four? Do we stop them? Or do we take inhib? Do we take Baron? Right. It really creates a sort of triangle of objectives around the map, whereas it could be much more linear. And I, I think this is maybe something that teams and coaches should theory craft with on the back end a little bit more. I don't know if we'll ever see that or hear about that just because it has to do with like strategies and team play. And usually they're a little more secretive about that, but getting some insight into that would be super interesting. It would be, it would definitely be very cool. Um, there's not like a ton else to talk about in this game though. I mean, like TL just made a lot of mistakes overall yeah. and CLG honestly played very well. Uh, they played CLG super smart. Did have a comp to capitalize though, right? Like yeah. Leona goes in, you have, uh, uh, Cho'Gath to lock down after, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Lilia goes in, you have Cho'Gath, you have Leona. Uh, th- there was a very catch-oriented sort of theme to their team, yeah. and also like double AD carry. They just always, always, always had consistent damage. What, one thing I will say with CLG that I found interesting that I actually liked a lot is um, Smoothie was not Wild Turtle support this game. He was for the first six minutes, maybe. Uh, but then past that point, he was pretty much always with Poe Belter and hovering Poe Belter wherever he was. And I think that's actually a really smart strategy when you have this Zaya, because Zaya has the ultimate to just get out of any scary situation, right? Um, like, Zaya is much safer than Illusion overall, despite Lucian having, like, a dash and stuff. Um, and Wild Turtle even took the Exhaust this game as well for that extra protection. So I actually really liked that strategy from CLG. Yeah, I think that speaks to sort of uh, Smoothie's intelligence as a support player uh, and experience. Yeah. And I also think it's just really good, like like when you have two AD carries, to be able to like pivot and play around one or the other. Obviously, it doesn't fit into every comp, and you you sort of need that leeway mid uh, in order to do it, and and you need your other teammates to play magic damage for you, right? So like Cho and Lilia in this game, for example. Mm-hmm. But when you can do it, when you can pull it off, you look really good as a team. All right. So one last thing that we wanted to go over super quickly. Uh, both me and Josh put together tier lists for the top lane. And uh, looking at them, they're pretty similar. We've got guys ranked uh, all around the same spot for the most part. Uh, do you want to go first or should I? Yeah. So our tier lists are almost identical here. I don't think it really matters, so I'll just jump in and go first. So at first, second, I've got Alfari and Impact, um, but both sort of for different reasons. But I think Impact's 
kill participation percentage is high enough that like even though he's on a losing team or or like a less winning team as far as like team play goes i i feel like he is the high point in that team and and i i just feel like he has more potential to carry there so he he's sort of playing to like the high end of his team whereas alfari is sort of a cog that fits looking at you know the Rome's coming out of core JJ uh, and, and sort of that hyper winning bot lane they have, whereas impact needs to be the one doing that. And he is rising to his position. Uh, then I have at three Huni, uh, fate God, someday licorice fudge, revenge, Finn and Niles. Yep. And our bottom is very similar uh, at number one. I have Alfari. Number two is impact. Uh, the reason that I, like definitively put Alfari above impact though we see team liquid like play around Alfari a lot more i think uh usually impact is just left to play weak side and doesn't really get help he might get like one or two ganks in a game from uh Svenskeren, but they kind of just leave him to to do his own thing um and then he'll join in team fights when it's time Whereas Alfari, they're putting a lot more of a carry onus on, I feel, in, in some of these games. And uh, I think he plays that role exceptionally well. I think top lane is probably the hardest to like actually have uh, a big impact in. And yet Alfari does that uh, in almost every game. Like even games where they're losing, he's making plays and uh, uh, finding picks, killing guys 1v1 and stuff. Uh, getting to team fights and, and having big impact and big plays there and whatnot. And impact also does that, but I, I just don't think quite as much. Uh, but there is also an, another thing to say about impact always needing to play weak side, right? Like he's almost never getting help. And that's a whole different strategy, I guess, and uh, way of play for, for a top laner. Yeah. So it's kind of the two parallels and both of them play it exceptionally well. Yeah, that's just the other side to it. And, and I think that's your argument for Alfari and my argument for Impact. It's sort of the same argument. We just sort of are putting value on different aspects of their gameplay here, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so the, the next difference is at number three, I have Someday, whereas you had Huni. And this is a flip for us. You have Huni at three, Someday at five. I have them flipped, where Someday's at three, Huni's at five. And I, I think for me, it's just consistency. I, I feel as though... Someday has been far more consistent than Huni overall. Huni has had like some crazy games where he really pops off and has huge, uh, huge ultimates and fights and stuff. But I think Someday is just more consistent overall. He typically wins lane and is able to carry that into team fights and succeed there as well and stuff. In four, we're in agreement. Fake God, Fake God has been insane. We were talking about him earlier. Uh, really really good young player coming into the league as i said five i've got huni six i have licorice i feel like both of us might be like kind of undervaluing him just because his team is doing so poorly uh but it's really hard to put him higher than this when FlyQuest is struggling so much i think i actually look directly at the stats for most of this and the stats kind of support where we're putting him okay interesting uh seven we have fudge and uh i think this falls into an impact story as well uh fudge doesn't get help ever uh cloud nine does not play around him at all uh we've seen like maybe two games total where they actually put priority on him and his lane but he's constantly being forced to play weak side and uh although we shit on him a lot i think think he's doing that like pretty well 
I think it's all pretty close for for this top seven, at least. I, like, I think Fudge is definitively the worst out of all of them. Yeah, I think... But I actually don't think it's, like, by that if much. If anyone were to move on my list, I think I would put Fudge down below Revenge, perhaps. Just because I, I when I think of Unforced Errors, and this could be painted from the beginning of the season still, I'm not really sure, uh, looking more recently, but I do still think of Fudge. Uh, j- just in terms of those Unforced Errors, those sort of uh, uh, key misplays that happen within a top lane matchup. Uh, and then below him, I have Revenge, and uh, th- this is the guy that I think will probably move as uh, the rest of this season goes on. I think this guy has a ton of potential. Uh, like I said, I think Immortals are doing great things with him right now. They're they're putting the right priority on him and everything. I I really like this guy. I'm excited to see what he does. Nine is Finn. Very meh. Uh, and in last, we talked about him. We shit on him earlier. It's Niles. <laughs> Yeah, that this guy, like, I, I think his overall ratio for KDA may have gone up this weekend, but that's not saying much. Um, yeah, not, I, I, th- not I think he had, like, a better KDA overall performance the last game, which brought his stats up slightly from where we mentioned it uh, in our gameplay discussion. But, yeah, th- this guy just, he either needs to show, like, a drastic improvement this last week or be, like, well, not even bench for playoffs because they're out, <laughs> but be, like, yeah. You you know they they need to look at some sort of viable option to replace him for summer split moving forward. Um, and I I do want to also point out really quick I made this tier list with playoffs in mind. Going into playoffs, I think Huni is rising, and I think someday and Hundred Thieves in a bigger picture as a team are sort of faltering a little bit you know that they still have some strong performances they're obviously switching out their mid lane trying to find some sort of uh, further identity there than just Damonte on a global champion so it, it's hard to say because you know that obviously team disruption does impact results to an extent and, and furthermore personal stats uh, in individual roles uh, and then really quick, going over playoffs, Cloud9 is locked in. They are making it for sure. TSM and Dignitas only need one more win to get locked in. And then we have FlyQuest, Golden Guardians, and CLG are all out of playoff contention for this split. Yep, I think the math sort of works funny there because like TSM and Dig would both have to lose, I think, all three games this final week. So they're basically guaranteed in, and it's just going to be a fight for positioning. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of Summoner's Corner. Uh, Thank you for listening. If you want to follow me on social media, check me out on Facebook and Instagram at WillRollingOnAir and on Twitter at WillRollingLive. You can also follow me on Twitch. I have just done a whole rebrand. It is now WillRollingLive, the exact same as my Twitter. So make sure to check me out there. Josh, where can we find you? Um, Look, usually I shout out my Twitch here, but I've just been lazy and had stuff going on recently so rather than shout out my own channel where i may stream or i may not just like call someone you haven't talked to in a while it's been a long pandemic for all of us reach out talk to someone make a personal connection this week guys thank you for listening and stay safe